This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons for that. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam. Yes, I'm back. And we're joined as always by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good, Adam. Welcome back. Ah, thank you. It's a delight to be back. <laughs> uh, how'd you go while I was away? I heard you had a, another economist in. That must have been amazing. Yeah, I, I, I think it was a good app, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a... You were happy with it? Oh, it was. It was That's the most important thing. Yeah, thanks. Mm. No, we had fun. No, I... We had fun. I, I did actually check the uh, the listen through stats, which is shows oh. how much each listener, how much of the episode they listened through to, and through the roof, Thomas. People oh. were listening right up until the end, which I can only assume was because they fell asleep. <laughs> 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 no, it must have been good. Oh, well, thank you, uh, thank you for holding the fort while I was yeah. away. Right. And thanks, Tim. Thanks for insights there. Go check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, this is our uh, this is our birthday episode. We're officially we've officially turned one as a podcast. We are one year old. Hmm. All right, big ep coming up. Uh, got an email actually from Richard before we get started. Email from Richard, who's on the New South Wales Central Coast, Thomas, which is up your way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he sent us an email: cve at equitymates.com or via the website equitymates.com forward slash cve. Sent us an email a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Rivian, uh, the Rivian electric vehicles, and he pointed out something. Kind of interesting, a bit of a fun fact about Rivian. He noted that some Rivians come with a built-in camp stove. Camp stove. Which just strikes me as a little odd. Like, <laughs> take that take that Tesla, you might have wireless connectivity, but Rivian's got a camp stove. And wireless, <laughs> wireless radio that is. <laughs> AM and FM, would you believe, for when you're really off the beaten track. <laughs> Thank you, Richard, for, for sending us that little tidbit. That was quite fascinating. Uh, all right, big show coming up, a uh, lot to get through. Thomas, we're going to look at what's being dubbed the Great Resignation, or as I call it, people still hate their jobs and a pandemic didn't really change anything. Um, we'll also play a game of guess how many companies in the ASX 300 have made any money ever. Uh, it's higher than you might think. And a couple of well-known economists have been debating in the media why houses are not like mandarins. And I can only assume there's a gag in there somewhere that's already making economists chortle. Uh, for the rest of us, stay tuned to find out what's going on. But first, shout out to everyone listening in New Zealand. Uh, Michael sent us a message, said it said that we're actually part of his daily commute, which is showing real commitment given that we're a weekly show. New Zealand, of course, famous for its hiking, Thomas. 
Hiking rates, that is. Oh. Thomas, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's gold. Put that put that in the highlight reel. <laughs> yeah, now the Reserve Bank of New Zealand became the first central bank in the world to hike rates for a second time from the from the lows of the post COVID era. Yeah, so leading the central banking community out of record low interest rates. A uh, hike, yeah, hiked rates then now up to 0.75 percent. So still, you know, pretty low in the scheme of things. Mm. But yeah, on the way up, and the sort of the outlook is they're going to hike pretty pretty steadily from here on. Market surprising in another six rate cuts. RBNZ's talking about another seven, but markets aren't believing them. Um, Why doesn't anyone believe the central banks? Like mm. that happens in with the RBA in Australia. Mm. Why does Why do people just not believe what they're saying. They're, so one of the one of the things that the the central banks have their eye on is inflation expectations. So if people don't expect inflation to happen, they don't put it into their pricing. They don't they don't you know firms don't raise their prices. Workers don't ask for more wages to anticipate inflation, and then you don't get inflation. It becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. So inflation expectations determine inflation, but inflation expectations are determined by people looking at the central banks and their forecasts and thinking about what's going to happen. So it's a bit circular like that. So the central banks often talk up a big game and say the economy is doing great because then if everyone believes them. So if, you, so if you're under the target, under your inflation target, and then you're saying you, you want the inflation to be above 2%, but you're under 2%, then, you, then just by saying, hey, we think the economy is doing pretty good, we think inflation is going to be around 2.5%. If everyone believes you, then those inflation expectations get built into pricing and you end up with inflation of 2.5%. So right. central banks tend to talk to their what they want inflation to be and then markets are looking at what they think it actually is. And there can be times where those two things are different. Is this a bit like, like Pat Cummins has been named captain of Australian test team, but everyone knows that Steve Smith's really <laughs> the one calling the shots? <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I just, I just want to get my head around it. That's that's okay. Good. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit funny. I mean, they're not they're not far off. It's not it's not a big difference, but uh, yeah, it's a bit different. And it's also like also like you know, forecasting is difficult. The market economists might just have a different outlook on where the economy is going to to the central bank economists. So those those the old, those the old forecasting is difficult card again, eh? <laughs> <laughs> just keep that safely tucked in your back pocket and rip it out whenever anything you say doesn't pan out. Yeah. Right, okay. So so rates have gone up. They're going up. Why is New Zealand so different to Australia? Like I would have thought we're pretty similar environments, aren't we? It is it is interesting that that we're getting such different outcomes. And and it is big a big difference. So in annual inflation's at 4.9% and just heading heading north of that. So that's already well above their their target range. Uh, unemployment's down to 3.4%, the lowest level since December 2007. So it's just running hot. And oh, and house prices, house prices are growing at 30%, which is Adrian wow. Orr, the central bank governor, came out and just said, that's batshit crazy, bro. Like, this is 30%, <laughs> 30% is just off the, off the hook. Like, mm. you know, you, you almost never see price growth that, but that's that's coast to coast in New Zealand. Like every every town and city is growing at, at this kind of crazy rate. So the, it does seem like the economy is overheating. And I think I think because New Zealand had the same pandemic response, super low interest rates and money printing, 
but they got mm. off pretty light. You know, they were able to lock down early and they didn't. They weren't as impacted by COVID as Australia has been. Mm. As some Jacinda country. nailed it again. Nailed it, yeah. Just, just she just crushes it over there. Mm. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So that. So that's the New Zealand's got to, got to, the RBNZ's got to re, you know respond to those kind of numbers like that. Mm. That's that's not temporary. You know, inflation at four point nine percent already and heading higher. That's 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 gone beyond transitory. And so they were the first ones to bring in some of the some of the measures to try and pull that back, weren't they? Like some of the the buffer for the for home loans, and then I think they they did they increase the deposit required as well, or the loan to value ratio maybe. Yeah, they did they did a few things, a few macro prudential measures. Yeah, but it hasn't worked. Hasn't worked. Like prices keep accelerating. So right. Mm. What what now then? What do they do? Just well, hike interest rates. Hike interest rates. Yeah, I think that's that's the end. That's the end of it. Yeah. Is that it? Is that the only? Is that the only sort of tool left in the belt? They go. Uh, I mean, there's probably other macro prudential measures they could invent. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> just make it up. <laughs> this is a credit credit rationing. Like to any any anyone with the last name J to Z doesn't get it. Can't get a mortgage this month. <laughs> Something like that. You could you do what you could do whatever you want. It would be, be unconventional, well, but I mean, money printing is one thing. I think we're all getting used to that idea. I don't know that <laughs> the credit rationing. That seems a little bit crazy, even for these times that we're living in. But but at the end of the, at the end of the day, so it's just worth remembering that the economy is a construct, and all the rules of the economy are just made up. Have been made up at some point. Even something as fundamental as property rights that you own something and mm. that you can go to law enforcement and get them to enforce your ownership of of a thing. That's just something mm. we decided. That's just a social construct. There's no sort of natural law in it. Like at a primitive level, you mean? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. If the, like as if the government disappeared. And this is isn't this the whole thing with crypto and NFTs and decentralized finance and all that stuff, where you're sort of saying you need some. There's no no one no central authority to enforce the ownership of things. Yeah, which yeah. is what makes crypto so different. Yeah, I mean that that's that's been, that's one of my criticisms of like the the full libertarian dream of Bitcoin as it's been expressed where I've seen it is it's like mm. you're talking about taking money away from the governments, but that sort of if you if you're defunding government, then you're defunding the police and the army and the military, but those are institutions that enforce property rights. So then, it, if, in that scenario, it's just whoever's got the biggest guns ends up with all the property. That's just... you're living in the past already. You're living in the past. We're all living in the metaverse now. <laughs> so you can have all your physical property. You can do what you want with it. You, could, <laughs> you can farm it, whatever. I don't care. I'm in the metaverse with a sick avatar and <laughs> living in a virtual mansion. So do what you want with your property. I'm not, yeah. I'm not there anymore. <laughs> okay. Right, Thomas, there's been a lot of talk about this in the last few weeks. They're calling it the Great Resignation. Um, I have also heard, heard it called the Big Quit, mm, and mm. that sounds like an anti-smoking campaign. So we'll go with the Great Resignation. So what's going on with the Great Resignation? Yes, this came out of US data, and then people are talking about it happening here in Australia and all over the world. Really, they're talking mm. about this as a, as being one of the phenomenons to come out of COVID. Yeah, so, but the quit rate, there's a, there's a piece of data called the quit rate, which is the share of workers who voluntarily leave their jobs. In America, we get that piece of data, and that hit a new record of 3% in September 2021, the highest highest level on record. And, yeah, so people talking about it being the, the, 
the great resignation that it's happening. And that, so the, one of the things is that partly that's concentrated in older workers. So there does seem that there's some older workers who are retiring and and exiting the labour force. Hardly news, would it? Is it like that old people are retiring and not working anymore? <laughs> well, more that they were, they were retiring earlier than you'd expect, possibly. Right. Is, is, is the story there. Mm. That they took their opportunity and went, that's it, I'm out. But I mean, they were... they're sitting on fat stacks of cash. Like, everyone's been locked up and getting, you know, we talk, we've talked before about everyone's saving rate, savings rates and everyone's sitting on, on more savings than ever. So they probably just brought it forward a bit. Probably right, probably right. But, yeah. Probably, yeah. Yeah, no, you, yeah. You, you write a letter to RBA, <laughs> tell them what you reckon. Be good. Oh, well, Phil's coming over for dinner, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Microsoft did some research where they reckon that 40% of the global workforce are considering leaving their employers this year, they reckon, which would be pretty massive. To do what? <sighs> Invest in crypto, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I heard that they were leaving. I heard, I heard that same stat, 40%, but they were just resigning to go and work somewhere else. Mm-mm-mm. I think, I think there is a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which then, well, to call it the great resignation is putting a pretty negative spin on it, isn't it? Like it's like the great everyone's getting a new job. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, one, we don't know because we don't know for sure whether people are planning to, to return. And some, some people like Deutsche Bank's strategist Robin Winkler said that after a pandemic, you get this pattern where people's preference shifts from consumption to leisure, that everyone's dying and it sort of makes you question what's important in life. And you say, working's not important. Working's not what I want to be doing. I want to be living my life, starting my bespoke craft brewery or whatever it is and you go yeah. out and do do you live live more and he's saying he had a stat saying that in after the black death in the 14th century the black plague um real wages rose because there was a massive labor shortage because everyone was dead um but <laughs> but average hours right. worked dropped so people worked less and saying it was a, it was a kind of a preference for, for more work-life balance among the <laughs> among the peasantry Work-life balance in the 14th century. Yeah, I'm just spending too much time on the loom at my weaving gig. <laughs> I've really got to, I've really got to get home and play catch the rock with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> it, how reliable is that data? Oh, yeah, I don't, I Pretty don't sketchy. know. There, there's a whole, there's economic history. This is an, is an interesting field of sort of forensic creativity. Yeah. It was probably a junior as well that put it together because all the like senior management would have all died in the play. <laughs> they would have been out schmoozing at lunches and at <laughs> banquets as it was at the time, and uh, would have all got the plague. It would have just been some some junior stuck at home somewhere. Would have been safe. And then they're like, "So what happened? What was the economic fallout from the plague?" He's like, "Oh." I don't know. I guess people stop working as much. <laughs> Dad was home a bit more. Yeah. The other stat that I saw is a survey saying that four percent, four percent of Americans have reportedly quit their jobs because they've got enough money to, thanks to crypto investments. Wow, four percent. Mm. So we're I, talking. It was high that three percent were quitting to go to just go do something else. That mm, was the big quit number. Yeah. And four percent are quitting. <laughs> <laughs> Because they've got a Lamborghini in the garage because they bought some they bought some Solana back back in twenty twenty. 
It seems high. Again, I'm probably going to question your uh, yeah. question the reliability of the data. Yeah, no, you do you do need to question the reliability of some of this data <laughs> to be sure. Uh, yeah, because um, I there was a, I did read a couple of articles today actually. They were talking about how you know it might not necessarily like quitting's not necessarily the best thing, right? Like it might just be a good time to go and talk to your boss and go like, hey, you know. Like, don't go in there and ask for 25%. That's ridiculous. Um, but, you know, like maybe just go and have a conversation because maybe your current job isn't, like, terrible and there are things you could do. Like, it's just a good time to have that conversation. I, I think I think everyone's reassessing a little bit. Like, I can, mm, you know, mm. I don't know. I think people do that anyway, don't they? I'm constantly reassessing and reevaluating. Like, I never, I've never had a job where I've just gone, well, <laughs> this is it. I'm good now. Well, yeah. Finished. Yeah, but you, you're a bit old. <laughs> Like, I saw a stat the other day saying that if you're a millennial, like if you're under 40, you've never had a pay rise because there just hasn't been that sort of culture of, of just general pay, pay increases. That sort of, that was an old world thing. Like with the labor market over the past 20 years hasn't delivered real wage gains. Right. And so... What do you, hang on, what do you mean? So people, so the younger generation haven't, what, they're not on an award? <laughs> they're think, not part think, of enterprise bargaining? Oh, I think yeah, less and less, less and less so. But also really? the yeah, like but the idea that you could go in and negotiate a pay rise, or just go to your boss and say, "Hey, I think I need, I think I need a pay rise." That's just not, that's just not a thing. And the, the study was saying that millennials don't even realise that that's a thing. And and part of what happens when you have slack in the labour market, you know, which we which we haven't now because we. Partly, be, largely because we haven't had immigration, so that sort of created a lot of tightness in the labour market. Um, but when you've got slack in the labour market, then you know everyone's fe- when you're fearful of your jobs, you're not going out there and asking for wage wage rises. And that's sort of what shifted this with this with the pandemic, is that there's there's tightness in the labour market, and people could people are seeing that there there, there is tightness, and it's com- it's starting to get competitive. The other thing is like that you've had huge government spending, so five trillion in the U. US it buys people time and they're a bit like well I've got a buffer now unemployment benefits are up there's money coming in I can actually just take stock I don't have to just jump out and take the best job the first job I find or I don't have mm. to stick with a job that's not really working for me I can take a step back have a breath and then find a job that really works for me which 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 is which I think is is a different story to like the big quit it's more like just saying like okay it, this this is a this is a, a seller's market a seller of labor seller's market. I'm going to be a bit choosy about who I sell my labour to. Yeah. Because 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 the first time in a generation, you've got that luxury. Yeah, or you can at least have the conversation too, you know. Mm. You, that that yeah. must be pretty liberating. Like imagine finding that out if you're like 25 and you didn't realise that was even a thing. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. What? I <laughs> yeah. could just go like tomorrow and say, look, thinking I might be worth a bit more than I'm on. Do you reckon you could sling me a couple of extra bucks and... Yeah, knowing that you've kind of got them over a barrel. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's I would a great encourage the, everyone to do it. <laughs> there's a great story about a McDonald's in the US who who collectively decided. This is the other thing we're seeing is a rise in collective action. But the the McDonald's manager got all his staff together and said, "I think I think we need more money. I think we deserve more money. There's not you know it's a tight labour market. We're not filling jobs. Why don't we all push for more money?" And everyone went, "Yeah, all right. Well, let's go on a day strike." And they sent sent the message to the to the manager of the of the thing, and the quote the quote they quoted him saying like, "Yeah, so I sent my manager a, f- a fax, and it was the scariest thing I'd ever done." And I was like, <laughs> "A fax? 
<laughs> no wonder. Those machines make some pretty weird noises. <laughs> All right, let's pause there. We'll grab a quick word from our sponsors and be back with more Comedian versus Economist right after this. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist. Don't forget, we love hearing from you. You can send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or via the website equitymates.com forward slash CVE or why not check us out on Instagram and Facebook at CVE Podcast. Now, Thomas, the ASX apparently has $200 billion of companies that do not make a profit. How can this be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this, this is some research that comes from MST Marquee Research. Uh, they put together an index of sorts in the ASX 300 looking at the number of companies that are currently not uh, delivering a profit. Yeah, and there's 48 of those in the 300 aren't making any money. And they're 48? 48, yeah. 48 of 300. It's quite a lot, yeah, yeah. It's never zero though. Like the sort of, you look at the chart, I'll share it, maybe I'll share it to Instagram, but it's normally about 30% and about 35. So it's sort of 35, you know, because it's not, you know, year to year, you have a bad year, companies don't make some money or something. Yeah, bad yeah. year. So 35 seems to be about the long run average. It got up to 70 during the GFC, so 70 out of out of 300. Right. Uh, and well, so the to take a step backwards, the ASX 300, that's the 300 biggest companies by market cap, right? Mm, so that's yeah. how how much those companies are worth. Yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, okay, just in, in case anyone wasn't familiar with the the ASX 300 term. So mm. and and so of those 300 companies, mm. you're saying 48 of them are not profitable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they're worth a collective 200 billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you remember, like, so the 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 share price is is a snapshot of the future. It's what the the market collectively believes the future looks like. So mm. they might not be profitable now, but they're banking that in in, in the short to medium term they are going to become profitable. That sort of. So they're speckies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you call them all speckies, but yeah, some are some aren't making a profit. <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> they might soon. We'll might speculate soon. that they might soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not speckies. We're just speculating that they might do well soon. Mm-mm. 
Yeah. So there's this. There, there was a sort of a. I shared. A, I think I was chat to Instagram a few earlier in the year. Goldman Sachs did a similar thing for um, for the US market, and that was also like it at bursting through record highs as well. Um, and sort of the idea that like MST Marquee Research is pushing as well, saying it's a consequence of central banks and their cavalier attitudes to fueling speculative bubbles. Right. I think that's exactly their agenda, but. That's sort of saying like it's all this all this money printing creates super cheap money, which creates a bit of a speculative bubble in things, and people are willing to back uh, horses that aren't aren't making any money. Right. So some of these are on the way up, and some of them are on the way down. Is that fair to say? At least, like some of them did make money. Yeah, I mean they might have just had a bad year. It's also there's also I did see some criticism of the of the Goldman Sachs measure saying it was a because it's on gap accounting measures, generally accepted accounting principles. Uh, and saying that that's not a really great measure for looking at profitability, it, it's sort of it's a bit of a muddy measure to look through, and there there are mm. other measures you should look at. But regardless of how how a series is constructed and how accurate it is, what's interesting is if it's a cons- if it's consistently constructed, and then the way it moves is interesting, and it has risen substantially since the GFC. Sorry, sorry, since COVID hit, um, so it's down around sort of fifteen companies when COVID right. hit and it's now up to 48. So thing, things are shifting substantially on that front. Yeah, so, so it is interesting. So we, the question is, is it, a, is, it a, is it a speculative story? Is it that, I mean, I think if it was startups, you often hear this about, you know, people backing startups that aren't making any money and how crazy that can be. And like during the, during the dot-com boom, you had companies that had, had never made profit, had never even made revenue in some cases getting mm. sort of eye-watering valuations. And then that was a sign of a speculative bubble because people are willing to pay lots of money for shares in a company that had no track track record whatsoever. Um, but I think when you're talking about the ASX 300, you're talking about some pretty big companies. So I don't think it's, it's – we're not talking about speculative startups here. We're talking about companies that, you know, have made it – have got big enough to be in the ASX 300. That's, that's, a, reasonably, that's a reasonable benchmark. And they're just not happening to be profitable at the moment. So it might say more about current market conditions than it says about the speculative bubble that we may or may not be in. So it's is it interesting though? Not not that I haven't found everything you've just said very interesting. <laughs> is it interesting though that it's higher now? Like so, it was it was fifteen earlier. It's now thirty. It's forty eight. It's that's the trend to keep an eye on. Like if that keeps mm. going up, mm. is that is that is that interesting <laughs> <laughs> to you? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it is interesting. But it's like, it, but you, to understand what it's telling you, though, that you need mm. you need need a bit more nuance need to, in that picture. You need to sort of know why these companies aren't making money. Like, are they good companies that have just fallen on a bit of rough times because of COVID, and they're going to bounce back? You know, maybe it's like Flight Center or Qantas or something good companies rough times because of covid not making any money but should make money once once market once the economy opens up again are they companies right. like that or are they companies that people are just taking a massive punt on on the future like a tesla or a rivian or something where it's like based on a view of what the market may or may not look like in 5 to 10 years because it, yeah. and people are just taking a punt because there's all this cheap money in the system yeah, right. So to use that, like, so Qantas would be one that was 
that's a good example to, to sort of focus on. So they would have made, they did make losses for a long time during COVID, right? Mm. The planes are grounded. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't, you, still, you wouldn't say that Qantas is a bad company. So, no and, it, no. and I guess this is different from the valuation of the company as well. So this is not a measure of the valuation. The va- like Qantas is still valued at however many billions of dollars it's valued at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this doesn't, this is just a fact. <laughs> it's just like 48 companies didn't make any money for a little while. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, potentially, potentially. Doesn't really say much more to me than that. No, I, th- I I I tend to agree. I think I think they're drawing a little bit of a long bow to say that this is um, points to the speculative nature of the market. Yeah. Mm. So he said their, their analyst says central bankers are now sowing the seeds of horrendous value destruction in the future. However, they appear to be oblivious to this. I just don't right. think that. I, I think that's just way. I don't too know that buying Qantas coming out coming out of a pandemic is a speculative. No, <laughs> speculative play. <laughs> no, that's right. That's I, right. I heard a guy the other day on, on another podcast I listened to saying that uh, Qantas was one of the best buyers. We'll be talking now about Qantas in like twenty years, as like you wish you'd bought Qantas at the you know where it is now. Yeah, not right. financial advice at all, and obviously no one's taking it from me anyway. But yeah, um, you- <laughs> that's what I hear. That's why. Right. That's, that's the good oil. That's, that's my mail. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goss from your mate. From my mate. Runs a podcast no one's ever heard of. Even less, even less popular than ours. <laughs> All right, Thomas, we're going to tackle the big question here on CVE. Why houses are not like mandarins? Uh, Jared sent us an email, cve at equitymates.com. And Jared sent us a link to a, an article. I think it was in the uh, ABC News uh, with a couple of people Uh, a Liberal MP and an Assistant Governor of the RBA, arguing about why houses are not like mandarins. Thomas, talk me through it. What happened? Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, so so the – I don't know if it's still running. I think I might have finished now. The the federal government was running a housing inquiry or housing affordability inquiry. Uh, I think it was chaired by the Liberal MP, Jason Falinski. Um, Yeah, and he was pushing the line. He he said that – basically, he was saying it's, it's about supply. And surely if we have more supply, then we get cheaper prices. Um, and he's saying, let me give you this analogy. I went and bought fruit on the weekend and I paid about 75 cents per, per mandarin. And I don't know if it was a good deal or not, but when I got to the counter, I still had money left over. I didn't increase how much I spent for the mandarin just because I could afford to pay more. But I might have done that if there weren't enough mandarins in the store. He wasn't actually talking to Ellis at this point. He was talking to the guys at ASICS and they were like, oh, we don't even know what you're mm. talking about. Was he smoking a joint at the time? Was he? <laughs> it's a little hard to follow his logic there, <laughs> I'll, I'll admit. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's saying basically, it's, it's, isn't it about supply? And, and this is sort of classic federal at the federal level. So housing, housing affordability is this can that gets kicked around mm. and... Typically, the federal government, both the Liberal and the ALP, push the idea that you need more housing supply and you need to cut red tape and let developers have more run to bring more housing supply online because when you bring more supply online, that reduces prices. There's Mm. two reasons why they do that. One is that they're both in the pocket of the developers, so they're getting funding from developers, so they want to, that, that's, that speaks to that interest of that base. But two, if it's a, if it's a supply-side problem, then it pushes it back on the states and the local governments 
because the states and local governments have control of planning. And so right. if, you, if you're talking, if, if you think the problem supply and freeing up land and bringing houses to market, for, that's good for a federal government because you don't have to do anything about that. You just put it puts it all on the states and the local governments. So you just you just handball that over to the states then and, and wash your hands of it. So that's why you often get from in these housing inquiries. And there's been like a dozen over the past twenty years, all come to sort of nothing. It's a bit of a it's becoming a little bit of a joke. Um, that's why nothing nothing ever comes of it because the federal government wants to push it back on the states, and the states want to put, say it's about sort of the federal federal settings like interest rates and the tax settings but so there's a bit of an argument about who's got responsibility for housing affordability and in the end no one really takes a takes responsibility for it right so yeah so he anyway so felinski's pushing the line that it's about supply and then lucy ellis is saying that um it's not really about supply and saying at some level high house prices that was our doing financial deregulation in the 1980s and a global decline in inflation in the 90s combined to reduce normal interest rates, and that's what pushed pushed up house prices. Houses are not mandarins. The land underneath them is very important. You don't buy mandarins with a 25-year mortgage. Accumulated interest is not a consideration when you're buying mandarins. And the mandarins you buy this week are new mandarins, and they're not the mandarins that you didn't buy last week. Geez, they're, they're really labouring that analogy, aren't they? Yeah, went to town with it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're going to say why that was important? Well, it's important yeah. because you're t- talking about the stock and so there's there's nine million homes in Australia. Each year we build about a hundred thousand new homes, so that's about one percent. So we increase the housing stock by about one percent each year. If you increase that by fifty percent to one hundred and fifty thousand, say, then you're increasing it by one point five percent, which isn't all that much different. It's not enough to move to move the market price. Does, does that make sense? So even if you bought, even if you just threw a whole lot of supply at the market, it's not going to bring down the total stock because the total stock is just so huge. Yeah, and I kind of get it too because the in the Mandarin analogy, like, have you ever tried selling a used Mandarin? Like, <laughs> there is, you can't get anything for them. <laughs> I had a Mandarin for lunch today. And I took it down the road and I said, would anyone like the rest of my mandarin? <laughs> Just crickets. No one. <laughs> no one was interested at all. So I can, I can see why this. Mm. I, I'm, not, I'm not even sure why it's kind of a debate. <laughs> yeah. No, but like she was saying, like the, there'll be new mandarins next week and... There'll be new houses next week, but the difference is that the old mandarins are gone, like they, mm, they've mm. disappeared, you yeah, know. Yeah. And so, where the houses don't go anywhere, the houses are here forever. Yeah, and, that's right. And they just get they go into the system and they get passed around. And it's blind Freddy could see that it's not they're not like mandarins. Mm, mm. You, see, you can eat them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think at at some level it must be true. Like, there's nine million homes in Australia. If I added added supply of ten million homes tomorrow. That would mm. shift the price of homes. Yeah, there yep. is there is Agreed. some some level where it matters, but yeah. at the current current le- level of the stock and the current level of the flow of the new houses coming in, it's not yeah. enough to you know t- 
tinkering with with that is not going to make a difference to house prices. Mm. The, the the what monsters house prices what really moves house prices is interest rates and and the credit market and that's what Lucy Ellis's point is right so you're on Lucy's side yeah I'm definitely taking Lucy's side on that one yeah all right I did actually I did some research I didn't want to come in all you know houses are not like mandarins I thought I I didn't want to be just living in the echo chamber <laughs> so I went and tried to find the contrarian view. And I found some some information about why houses maybe are like mandarins. Um, one was because they they're often orange. So you've seen a lot of orange, <laughs> see a lot of orange brick houses around. Makes them quite mandarin in appearance. Um, some of them have pips inside, um, especially if you go to Philippa's house. She's got at least one pip in there. But I did I found an article from March that was talking about how Mandarin prices are going to go up 30% this year due to labour shortages, <laughs> which is about the same time the housing market took off at about the same rate. So, yeah. well, there you go. I think maybe Jason, was his name Jason? Yeah, Jason. Maybe he's got a point. Good. I think he's, just, he's, he's, slightly off, he's slightly off the target, but I can help him out with, if, he needs some, if he needs some points for his debate with Lucy. <laughs> give us a shout-out, Jason, at CVE podcast on instagram and facebook yeah. <laughs> or send us an email cv at equitymates.com <laughs> or on the website equitymates.com forward slash cve <laughs> all right on that note why don't we leave it there for this week uh thomas thank you for your company don't forget lots of great shows from equity mates media get started investing equity mates investing podcast you're in good company. Talk money to me and the new Crypto Curious. Get your ears around all of them. Thank you very much for joining us this week. Um, very special episode next week because it'll be our last for the year. Uh, it'll be the last before we go on Christmas holidays. Uh, Thomas and I have got some family stuff to take care of. Um, and, yeah, namely Christmas Day, getting through that. Uh, so, yeah, um, join us next week. It'll be the final show of the year. We did, we did want to do an Ask Us Anything um, because apparently that's what podcasts do. And now that we're a year old, we thought it would be a good time to do it. Um, weren't confident, to be honest, that we'd have enough questions for a whole episode. So we thought um, we'd just throw the invitation out there. Ask us anything, anything you like at all. Uh, I've given you the, the email address several times, cbe at equitymates.com. Uh, but, yeah, um, Anything you like, um, we'll, I think we're going to do a bit of a retrospective, maybe a bit of a, a bit of uh, dare I say, Thomas, a bit of forecasting for next year, <laughs> um, which we can review next year and realise how how wrong it was, and talk about how difficult forecasting is again. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Uh, thank you once again for tuning in. We, we do really appreciate it. We hope you'll join us for the final episode of the year next week. Until then, it's goodbye from us. Cheers. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. 
We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.